Welcome to the Lifting Lindsay podcast. So as promised, we are doing part two of maintenance. And I'm going to break this down into two sections. So I'm kind of excited about it. I'm going to talk about how to move from tracking to mindful eating. I would say intuitive eating, but there's a group of people that would freak out and throw their hands up in the air because apparently they have all claimed to the word intuitive. <laughs> so when it comes to health and fitness, nobody except them is allowed to use that word intuitive. I'm not even joking. I've been doing this for a while. If I even breathe, if I even think it, I swear I get like a handful of messages on Instagram, like, you diet, you're not allowed to use that word. You don't know. It's like a full-blown attack. It, it is absolutely hilarious to me. So I'm going to talk about how to how I move clients from tracking to mindful eating. Because it's not just science. If you've listened to my podcast, if you followed me on Instagram, oh my goodness, how many times have I said it's, it's not just the, the science of what's going on in our body, but so much of it, majority of the game, I swear, is a mental game. So women really fear and have a lot of anxiety of giving up tracking because it's been a crutch to them for so long, which in some ways is kind of funny because some of them use it as a crutch, but they don't even use it very well. So they track, but they don't really track. But the thought of giving up tracking, they can't do that. But it's like, wait, but you've been telling me that for the past five years, you've been tracking, quote unquote, at 1300 calories, but you really haven't because you may track one or two meals, and then you overeat, uh, you BLT bites, lick, tastes your calories away. But now you're telling me, so you don't even really track everything, but now you're telling me that you can't trust yourself to not track. Wait, but even when you were tracking, you weren't tracking. So there's, it is such a mind game and I get it. I'm not demeaning anybody. Guys, I get it. I do, but I'm here in many ways to be the voice of reason and to help set you free to stop using the crutch and realize that you are stronger mentally, emotionally than you feel like you are and that you can develop an amazing lifestyle of health that will set you up for success. So recently I did an Instagram post on this very subject of how I mindfully eat during maintenance when I'm not tracking. And I said, I use tracking as a tool. I use it as the tool to lose body fat. But once I'm in maintenance, I use the tool of my healthy lifestyle, my habits to maintain. Okay. So we're going to be talking one, like I said, about how to do this shift from tracking and using it as a crutch to more of this mental, emotional 
psychological freedom of not tracking, feeling freer around foods, and maintaining. The other part is I'm going to talk to you about simple tools that I use because there still needs to be some sort of cognitive oversight, right? We can't just go from tracking to, well, I'm going to mindfully eat now. And so whatever my mind tells me to eat, I'm going to eat. <laughs> that's not that's not how it works. That's not mindful eating. Okay. Oftentimes when I have used the word intuitive, I say intuitive eating is wonderful. The problem is most people's intuition is totally broken. And it's true because we don't just use food to fuel our life. Many people fall in the trap of using it as treatment or as a fix, or it's their way of self-medication. It's their way of not having to deal with tough feelings. That's how a lot of addictions are formed. It's not the substance itself. It's the inability to cope with uncomfortable feelings. And so instead of facing uncomfortable feelings, uh, and most of us were taught that those feelings are bad. So we shouldn't feel that. We shouldn't feel anger. We shouldn't feel sadness. We shouldn't feel disappointment. You know, think about it like this. Uh, you take your son to a baseball game. He loses. What are you going to, oh, it's, a, oh, don't feel bad. It's okay. You've now told him how he shouldn't feel. Let's go get ice cream. And now you're teaching him that we deal with hard feelings through food. I'm not shaming anybody for that. It is, I, I know as a parent how easy it is to one, tell my children not to feel a certain way and to try to avert their attention from those feelings to either food or fun activity that will take their mind off of it. And the more I learn about emotional health and resilience, the more I now teach my children when my child comes to me and she's hurt, no matter how absurd I may think the reason she's hurt is I don't try to change her feelings. I actually just sit in the pain with her and I, I help her put a voice to her emotions and that must really hurt. Or sometimes I'll even like, does that just hurt your heart? Or, oh, does that make you feel anxious? Sometimes you say you're nauseous when you feel anxious. Does that, and I'll kind of bring it back to feelings in their body. And then I just sit there and I feel it with them. And there have been tender moments where I may cry with my kids because it's just, it's, I used to think if I sit in the hurt with them, that I'm missing out on a teaching opportunity. And no, I, when they come to me with hurt, I need to immediately jump into a teaching opportunity. I need to teach them. But here's the thing. They won't be open to any sort of teaching until they know that I have climbed down into the trenches of their hurt and they feel seen and their hurt, not the situation, but their hurt is validated. And then after that, I can teach them. In the moment, I just get down and I feel it with them. 
So that was a little side tangent. Didn't mean to take, to go in that direction, but a lot of us weren't taught emotional resilience. We were taught we shouldn't feel a certain way. And if we do feel that it's bad, we need to feel better. We need to live in this world of perpetual happiness and peace and joy. And and that's just not reality. And so we need to fix it if we do feel those things. And I cannot tell you how many of my clients, at least three-fourths of them, deal with they use food as a way to fix those feelings. They feel anxiety. Chocolate will help that. They're sad. Chocolate will help that. <laughs> They're happy. Chocolate will also enhance that, right? There's like there's there's so much now. Because food isn't just whole foods, we've created these amazing, wonderful, tasty foods that literally food companies hire and spend millions and millions more money on even psychologists who and scientists that actually will help bypass areas of the brain that tell you you're full. So this is kind of what we're dealing with is this food environment where we're not even aware sometimes we're full. So that's why maintenance, there still does need to be some cognitive oversight because there are multiple reasons why we turn to foods and now these foods are so palatable. They're so amazing, so yummy. And you just, you know, the chips, what was the chips that said, I bet you just can't have one. Okay. Maybe it was a better (laughs) slogan. I hope it was a better slogan than that one. I bet you can't just have, wait, was it that slogan? Anyways, something like that. And they're right because they literally paid millions of dollars to a scientist to make it so you couldn't just have one. (laughs) This is the reality that we're living in. And so we have to know, this is why our grandparents didn't have to track. They didn't have to worry about it. We live in a different world where we actually do need more cognitive oversight when it comes to foods. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever walked into a store? (laughs) I can't believe how often this happens to me. I just apparently have expensive taste. I don't know. Have you ever walked into the store? You see a sweater or shirt or a dress or whatever, and you grab it, you try it on, and it is just perfect. And it is like, it makes you look amazing. It's the perfect color, the perfect fit. You are so excited. You feel amazing in it. And then you look down at the price tag and you're like, what the crap? Who in their right mind would pay that much for this item of clothing? Like, really? I'll walk around naked. Like, okay, maybe not, but oh my gosh, right? There is a price tag to everything. Even trying to stay your absolute leanest self possible. There is a price tag. And how many of you, kind of once you've gone through fitness and you become more educated about this, you will find that you look down at that price tag of leanness and you're like, nope, not paying that. And maybe at some point in your life, you're like, oh yeah, this is worth it. 
But maybe there's another point in your life where money's tight, so to say. And it's like, nah, I'm not putting, I'm not putting my mental, emotional energy towards this right now. That that like my budget in my mental, emotional, physical, what I can give right now is actually pretty tight. I can't pay that right now. Now, a lot of times women don't accept that though. And that's where a lot of friction and a lot of frustration happens in body and mind. Because they really, really, really want their six pack 12 months out of the year. They really, really want it. But at the same time, it's this constant battle because they actually don't want to pay the daily price tag on it. And they haven't accepted the fact that the body that they want, that that's, that is that lean, their smallest version of themselves has this price tag that is high and they, they haven't accepted the price tag and they're trying to argue in the store with, <laughs> with the worker and the worker's like, sorry, it's the price tag. And they're arguing and they're so frustrated because they haven't done one thing. They haven't accepted the fact that that's the price. Pay it and walk out the store with that dress or look around and be like, do you know what? I'm going to be actually be okay by a different dress in a price tag that I can and I want to pay. So acceptance is huge. So oftentimes when people come to me, and they, they're almost like desperate because their whole identity, everything, their value of themselves as an individual hangs on this hinge of, can I stay my smallest self? Please tell me I can stay my smallest self. Well, you can, but there's a price tag. So what do you really want to maintain? And I think that this is a really good question. Do you want to maintain your smallest self? Do you want to maintain that lowest body fat percentage? Or do you actually want to maintain a more food, not having to track and weigh every single thing that that goes into your mouth. And with that, do you want to maintain the freedom that that brings mentally and emotionally? And the health that that brings mentally, emotionally, and with your relationship with food and body and fitness. So which one do you want to maintain? Because, because there are times and individuals that those goals actually conflict with each other. So the price tag of, let's just say Sally or Susan, whatever, she drops her body fat percentage to 16, 17% body fat. That's pretty lean, guys. That's really lean. And this is actually usually what I see the most is when women drop their body fat percentage into this really athletic body fat percentage between 16 and 19. And 
they think that that's okay. That's where I'm going to love myself the most. So I'm going to drop to that, that athletic body fat percentage. Cause that's what that's known as. And, and then they're obsessed with maintaining it. They're, they don't allow their body to fluctuate. Nope. If their body fluctuates, that's bad. If the weight moves up at all, that's bad. It's a fail. Their reverse quote unquote failed because they put on a few pounds after the reverse. Nope. Fail. That's not true. Because just eating more alone is going to put more food into your digestive tract. It is going to increase glycogen stores and water weight in your muscles. So that alone is going to increase up to five pounds of weight. So you're, you're comparing your depleted self because most women push calories really, really low. And in so doing, you can only have so many carbs if you're eating 1300 calories, right? So they deplete that, they lose a lot of water weight, and then they start eating carbs again. And it's not like they gain body fat, but they do gain water weight. Glucose is stored as glycogen that binds to that water in their muscles. They have more food in their digestive tract. So obviously the scale is going to go up with that. But they immediately assume it's all body fat and it was a fail and reverses don't work for me. It's kind of, you know, when you put it realistically like that, it's a very absurd um, thought. And yet I cannot tell you how many women struggle with it. And sometimes we just have to kind of tell ourselves like these, these thoughts and these feelings are not facts. And this is why a lot of times... I say women can diet without a coach better than they can reverse and sit in maintenance without a coach. I think that majority of women need a a coach during reversing and maintenance just to walk them through the mental piece. So really most women want all the cake to eat it too, and they want their six pack. And they need to really look honestly at themselves and say, what do I really want though? You know, when I die, I bring this up a lot. <laughs> it's not a morbid thought to me. It's actually a thought that helps me put my life into perspective. And it helps me put things like fitness into perspective. Now, when I die, if all somebody can get up and say is, well, she had a six pack, then man, my life has been a waste. And and what do I want my children remembering? Do I want them to remember that when we vacationed, we had fun? I didn't care what my body looked like. I jumped in the pool. I got my hair wet. I played with them. We built lasting memories. Or am I going to be so obsessed with the way I look and my insecurities that I just sit on the sideline and I watch everybody else play and have fun? and bond with my children because I'm too scared of not looking a certain way. I mean, I, I guess if that really brings you joy is sitting there that, that doesn't for me, I've got to get into the pool and build memories with my children because that this is it. This is the time that I have with them. And if I don't even get into a swimsuit because I'm so afraid of other people's judgments, then once again, I'm allowing other people to dictate my life and prevent me from living to my fullest. 
you've handed your power and your happiness to random strangers at the pool. That to me is just really sad. Sorry about that side tangent, but I just, what are we doing? If our goals are not going to lead towards more happiness, there is a point of diminishing returns. And I just want you to keep that in mind that that last one to 2% body fat that you are so desperate to hold on to, that you can't let it go. No, I have to be 17% body fat. I can't be 18 or 19. And yet at 19 or 20 is actually where a really happy, full life resides for you. But no, 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 I can't, I can't. Why? Why? What is so important about that one to 2% body fat that you will give up relaxing and not tracking and just learning mindfulness around foods? What is so important about that one to 2% body fat that is literally hanging above your head in many ways, mentally and emotionally holding you prisoner of a full, fun life? You know, when you, when you sit there and you hold them up and you're looking at them, a six pack in your left hand with a ridiculously rigid way of living that maybe doesn't bring you a fullness of joy. Okay. That's, that's your left hand or your right hand where, yeah, you, you're a little bit softer in your stomach, but you have freedoms and emotional and physical health that you didn't have in the left. It's kind of a no brainer to me about which one we should all be choosing. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with being 17, 18, 90% body fat. There's nothing wrong with that. But what's the cost overall? And so what I have found that I try to educate my clients on is it is really fun to, to push ourselves really hard to cross the finish line of the marathon, if you will. But nobody sits at the other side of the marathon and is like, okay, so how are you going to hold on to this? How are you going to hold on to this, this marathon line? Are you going to just drag it with you everywhere? Because I feel like when I cross the line of my six pack is really sharp and lean, I get massive, like this flood of messages coming into Instagram saying, how, so how are you going to hold on to it? What are you going to do? And they're almost like desperate in their attempt to find out how I'm going to hold on to it because they are so desperate to get it and hold on to it. Well, you don't hold on to the finish line for a marathon. And honestly, I don't always have the sharpest abs in the world. And I'm okay allowing my body to fluctuate and not holding on to them all the time. So I think it's fun to lean down, spend a few months, my leanest self, maybe during the summer. And then during the fall and winter, I get fluffier. And I'm okay with that too. Why? Because it allows me to live my life with more flexibility. And that brings me far more joy than desperately trying to hold on to that 1% to 2% lean body fat, 16, you know, 17% body fat percentage. So man, guys, I, I don't mean to be a dead horse, but 
sometimes I feel like I need to because there's somebody right now listening, guaranteed who's saying, thank you, I needed this. If there's just one person that I can help make a mental breakthrough so that they're not held hostage to these crazy extreme ideas, but that they can make breakthroughs and move into their healthiest selves physically and mentally, then my job is done. Because there are already a million other influencers who are influencing people to constantly obsess to be their leanest selves. And they're saying, and you can do it. They're not telling you the price tag, but they're telling you you could do it. Well, yeah, but most people aren't willing to pay that price tag. And so I'm just going to be the one over here like, yeah, this is the price tag. Do you really want to pay it? So, okay, let's just dive into the meat of this now. That was like, sorry, my little tangent, <laughs> but, but this is the meat of it. So then how do we do this? How do we free ourselves from tracking 24, 365 days a year? How do we free ourselves during maintenance? And like I said, it really is a mental game for most women. So we're at maintenance, we're tracking. And I'm going to tell you, there are times where I'll tell my clients, okay, so we are going to introduce mindful eating. I'm going to have you mindfully eat two to three times a week. And remember, it's a practice. Everything in life is a practice. Everything. You're not going to be perfect at it right off the bat. You're not going to be perfect at anything right off the bat. That's just an absurd notion to think you will be. But it's a practice. So we're going to practice two to three times a week, not tracking at all. And I'm going to give you a few guidelines of things that I do when I'm mindfully eating that can really help set you up for success. One is I don't waste my calories on bites, licks, tastes, those BLTs. I don't waste my calories on that. What a lot of times people will do in maintenance is they will eat their regular meals. Awesome, they've hit maintenance. But then on top of it, in between the meals, they're doing tons of BLTs. So the BLTs are pushing them over into a calorie surplus. But they think, no, these are my usual meals that I like eating. And these will land me, you know, when I was tracking at maintenance, these were the kind of meals that landed me around maintenance. But they're not now taking into account all of the BLTs. And those are adding up and they add up quickly. So that's a huge one, guys. BLTs keep them in check because they will be enough to push you into a calorie surplus. My second tool that I like to use is I still like to get tons of greens for my lunch and my dinner. So before I eat my lunch and dinner, I will eat like two cups, one to two cups of greens. Now, believe it or not, greens can actually affect people's gut health. So you need to be making sure that you are choosing greens that don't give you tons of gas. Okay. So tons of broccoli can do that. 
So just be careful, be mindful about what does well with your gut and what doesn't. We should do that anyways. But I will have one to two cups, a huge salad, you know, before I eat my meal. Really like think about filling your stomach up with those, all those micronutrients, getting all your fiber in through it. It can really help. And it can also help get you full so that you are able to mindfully eat the meal better. Okay. So that's my second one. My third one is I keep a schedule. My third and fourth, these kind of go hand in hand. I keep it to three meals and a snack or on days that I lift, I have my post-workout protein shake. Okay, so I have my breakfast, lunch, dinner, and my snack. And those are, that's just the four things that I eat every day. And then to kind of take it to the next level, which I actually think out of all of these tips, this is the one that helps the most. And you have to figure out what works best for your schedule. But I will still have a set schedule of when I do eat. So this is an example of a training day. I wake up at five o'clock and I usually do 20 minutes of a walk. If I'm in a cut, I'll do 20 minutes of cardio, but usually I love my walks. My walking, I don't really call that working out. That's My walks are for my mental and emotional health, I feel like. It's a great time to meditate, to pray, to get myself ready for the day. So I will wake up at sometimes 4.30 or 5 to in order to get that alone time and my walk-in. But on training days, so I wake up, I do my walk, have my scripture time, I have my study time, I start working. Then at seven o'clock, I usually have my breakfast. And I have like four or five breakfast meals that land me somewhere between 400, 450 calories. And I really enjoy those meals. And so I'll go upstairs, seven o'clock, I'll make one of those meals. I know that they're going to be around 25 to 30 grams of protein. So I'm going to hit high amounts of protein. I'm not weighing everything. For example, today I had my protein egg white oatmeal that I absolutely love. And I didn't weigh the banana that I put on it. I didn't weigh the, the nut butter. I eyeballed it and that's fine. Landing somewhere around four or 500 calories, that's great. I feel full. I feel satisfied. And because I feel full and satisfied, I'm going to be able to make it to my 1130 post-workout meal. Now, if I just try to nibble on things like I'm some bird or a rabbit, what it's going to do, it's like I try to, I'll just have an apple. I'll just nibble on an apple. I'll just nibble on a carrot for my breakfast. Uh, with like one hard-boiled egg. Well, I'm not going to feel full. I'm not going to feel satisfied. And what do you think I'm going to do before lunchtime? I'm going to have tons of BLTs. Because there's something about filling your stomach, the slight expansion of your stomach, that actually sends signals and helps you feel full and satisfied. So when we sit down to have a meal, sit down and have a meal. Don't eat like a bird. You're not a bird. You're not a rabbit. You're a human. 
and let's eat like you are one. Okay, so let's really have these fuller meals. And even when you're in maintenance, you will feel hungry. That was a great question that somebody asked me is how often should I feel hungry? Well, usually three hours after a meal, you'll start feeling hungry again. Your your gut is digesting, your stomach is empty. If you haven't just chosen high glycemic carbs that are really fast digesting, if you choose something like oatmeal, it's going to be a little bit slower. You're going to feel fuller for longer. So the foods you choose are going to affect this as well. So seven o'clock, I have my breakfast. 11.30, going to have my post-workout. 2.30, I will have my lunch. And so I once again, I have four to five lunch meals that are my go-to that I really enjoy. They are so yummy. It's not just like, oh, broccoli and rice and dried chicken again. Well, yeah, nobody wants to eat like that for the rest of their lives. That's horrible. So I have these four to five meals that I just really love. And so for me, it's not some big sacrifice of, oh, I can't eat anything enjoyable. It's like, no, I feel full. I feel satisfied. And man, that was tasty. And once again, they usually land me somewhere around, you know, four to 500 calories. And then six o'clock, around six, I'll have dinner with my family, six, 6.30. And then at eight o'clock, I have a snack or I'll have my treat because I do think it's really important to have, for me at least, to have a treat, something yummy to look forward to. I like finishing my day off with it. And that's really nice too, because then if my family, like summer's coming up, if my family wants to have s'mores out by the fire or whatnot, great. I know that it's going to fit in my maintenance calories. And so with my clients, they will do this where we'll get them on a good schedule of eating. And it helps them when they have four to five meals that they really enjoy that they just move through. And then for dinners, I really love Elise. Oh my goodness. I just spaced her last name. It's macro-friendly foods. So I have her subscription and I pay for it. I don't get it for free. I pay for it because it's worth it. She has some great options in there. So there are times when I have four to five, like I said, the four to five meals. And it's like, oh, I've got to kind of, I've got to discover new four to five meals that I can go through because I don't want to always be eating those. So every like uh, five to six months, I will discover new breakfast, lunch, dinners. So macrofriendlyfood.com, that's Elisa's site. I really love her foods. She has some great ones. Then there's also, I've talked about lilyeatsandtells.com. Lily is a great one as well for macro-friendly foods. It's really nice because they already have the macros in there for you. So they've figured it all out for you in like grams or ounces or servings, whatever it may be. They figured it out for you. They've done the hard stuff. I like Elise because it's every single month I get a new set of foods that I can go through. Lily, her recipes and her website packed full of amazing recipes. I have noticed Lily has 
a bit higher protein than Elise, but they both have good protein amounts. I tend to lean more towards higher protein. So a lot of times with Elise's stuff, I'll kind of add more protein. So I will get my clients on these two to three non-tracking days. We'll get them on a schedule. We make sure they have those four to five meals that they're kind of sifting through. And then we just watch over a few weeks. They seem to be doing great. We add on a few more days. And then we'll switch to, now I'm just going to have you just make sure you're getting enough protein. So they still have to be cognitive of their foods. They, they have to stick to this schedule that really helps them, but they have flexibility with foods. So pretty soon we help them build confidence and they are sitting at maintenance. They're maintaining, they're enjoying a healthy lifestyle. They start feeling out more flexibility with food even than that. But for the most part, staying on this schedule, they're able to go out and eat more, not having to track everything that they're eating at restaurants. They're learning to respect their body. So when they do go out on the weekend, they pick, they can all go out on the weekend and I pick like fettuccine Alfredo. And then I'll also get a chocolate cake and I eat half of my fettuccine Alfredo and I split the chocolate cake with my husband and I don't worry about, oh, did I gain weight? I don't worry about, oh, did that set me over my maintenance level a little bit? I don't worry about that because throughout the week, I'm maintaining and I have a great lifestyle. And so if there's one to two times a week where it sets me off my schedule or my husband and I want to go out and eat or my friend wants to go out, have lunch, I'm not going to obsess like, oh, does it fit my macros? Can we go to this restaurant so that it can fit my... No, I have this freedom. And also, I have found that slowly introducing the mindful eating allows people to really get a feel of, okay, this is how at maintenance I feel as far as fullness. This is how I feel as far as like, okay, I can go like three, four hours and then I start getting hungry and then I can eat again. And they really become very, dare I say, intuitive in their eating. They're, they're not chained to tracking, but they still are having awareness of protein, of greens, of fueling my body, but I can also have a cookie without needing to track it. But I'm not, I'm not also giving away all of my calories to BLTs. I'm still being wise. But it really does come down to habits. And are you willing to pay the price to form these habits? And so here is this sweet spot of, yeah, maybe my body fat percentage went up one to 2%. I'm okay with that because I'm still lean. I'm still healthy. And I have all of this freedom. And if summer comes around and I want to slim down a little bit for a wedding or for a vacation or whatever, then I can get into a calorie deficit again. I can drop a few pounds, lean down again, enjoy that for a few months, and then I move back into this, this world of healthy lifestyle, and this is where I live. And so I think that that's what most women don't understand is that all of these the really successful in body and mind fitness influencers out there, one, 
allow their body to fluctuate. Two, they know what it takes if they want to really lean down again. And they're okay going into a calorie deficit because they're not living in one anyway. So like I said before, the question is, what do you want to maintain? Do you want to maintain the smallest version of you? And that's it. That's all you get. Or do you want to maintain the healthy version of you physically, mentally, and emotionally? Those are your choices. And a lot of people who pay the price tag of their smallest version of themselves for too long don't realize that in the long run, there's another price tag. And that's their mental, emotional health. And sometimes if they stay too lean for too long, it can now be the price tag they paid for it is now their physical health. And then they have to go through years of trying to get their body back in a healthy position. So hopefully this podcast has helped educate you guys on the price tag, has made you think about what do you really want to maintain? What do you really want? And how to move into more mindful eating and what tools you can do to help build confidence in yourself as you do so. Thank you for joining me for the Lifting Lindsay podcast. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to DM me at Lifting Lindsay at Instagram or visit my website, liftinglindsay.com to sign up for optimized training and the wait list for my coaching options.